You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. When you post hunting photos on Instagram, they get censored. When you post on Go Wild, you get virtual fist bumps from fellow hunters. When you buy gear on Amazon, you gas up a billionaire spaceship. When you buy gear on Go Wild, we donate to a camp that teaches kids to hunt, fish, and shoot. See the difference? Go Wild is a free social community built by hunters for hunters. Join today at DownloadGoWild.com, and I'll give you 10 bucks just for setting up your account. And you'll keep unlocking Go Wild rewards as you share content, because guess what? We like hunting pictures. Join at DownloadGoWild.com or in the App Store. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles. Um, This is going to be a no-fluff episode. Uh, Real quick, I just want to say a huge shout-out to the partners of the Nine Finger Chronicles, Vortex Optics. Go to vortexoptics.com. Ozonics, uh, we got Exodus Outdoor Gear, so ozonicshunting.com. Exodusoutdoorgear.com for Exodus trail cameras. Lone Wolf. Um, hunting products. So that's lonewolfhuntingproducts.com, wasparchery.com, uh, excalibercrossbow.com, and huntstand.com. Um, please go out and support those uh, brands. They support me, and uh, that allows me to uh, continuously put out this awesome content. Uh, you know, that, that may sound arrogant, but I feel like the content that we're putting out here is really good. So today, uh, quick episode. I got to pick my kid up in just a little bit from daycare, and uh, we're talking about the pre-rut. And I hunted last night. Let's see. So it would have been Monday night. I went out hunting, and if it wasn't for me checking trail cameras, I would have never thought there would be any deer in the area based off of the sign that was left behind. Yes, there were some deer tracks, but that doesn't mean that a big mature bucks in the area. So typically I can walk through the timber and I can see rubs and I can see scrapes and I can see, you know, a sign that there are, there is some buck activity in the area. And what I've noticed is just because there aren't big rubs and there aren't scrapes all over the place, it doesn't mean that there isn't any deer on that farm, right? And I know this because I have trail camera data now to show that there is deer on the farm. They are moving through it. It's just that where I was hunting isn't where they're laying laying down a, a lot of sign. So I wouldn't be discouraged uh, this time of year if you're looking for sign, you're looking for uh, the rubs, the scrapes, uh, maybe heavy trails. Don't be discouraged, especially, you know, after 
the rain has come through and, and maybe washed some of that sign away. Here's what I will say, and this is what's um, allowed me to be somewhat successful throughout the years, and I don't necessarily focus, this is me personally, on the freshest sign because it that, that sign could be uh, laid, I don't even know, I don't even know, man. Like it could be 48 hours old. It could be left you know, when in the middle of the day, it could be left in the middle of the night. You have, unless you're sitting over that sign or watch it being made, you don't know how old it is. So that is why I spend a lot of time uh, focusing on actual terrain features, focusing on edge in the timber this time of year. Uh, on Monday night, I I hunted near a standing cornfield and I hunted next to a bedding area. I was like right in between a bedding area and a staging area. And what, uh, what this, and I'll just kind of lay it out for you. The bedding area was on high ground. The staging area was on low ground and on the same type of level that the, uh, that the cornfield was. So there's a two track that leads to this cornfield, but they plant part of the two track it's like a hundred yards worth of corn that's been planted on this uh on this little drive uh that leads to the cornfield and i think what they do is they just try to optimize the ground and they plant on their way out they'll plant however the, you know this 100 yards of corn well it gets destroyed and it's not necessarily a um it's not necessarily what i would consider a food source i mean yes they eat it but they also stage there and they just kind of chill there before they go up to up to the top where there's a little bit more open field and grass. There's another uh, cornfield up there, or they stay in this this secluded hidden field where it's just standing corn still. And they feel real comfortable in that uh, because a it's a food source, and b you can't see it from the road. Uh, if you have on specific winds, you can't even get there unless you're backdooring it through another property, which I don't have access to do. So the deer just feel real comfortable real comfortable there. So the whole point is that I, I sat in this area and I, and I used terrain features and edge like this bedding area when it, when it connected to this staging area, it created edge. And that's where a lot of the deer movement was coming from. Uh, it was right along this edge coming out of this bedding. And granted, I only saw three deer on Monday night. Um, just remember that you're not out to see a lot of deer you're out to have and this is what I kind of was thinking about while I was in the stand 100% of the deer that I saw on Monday night were within shooting range so if I wanted to shoot these does I could have had a shot opportunity on 100% of the deer that I saw and unless you're truly trying to do some type of observation hunt and, and you're trying to locate where deer are coming in and out of a like a long timber line or in in a big uh, grass field or or bean field, then then maybe just seeing deer is okay. But I I've kind of stepped away from that and put myself in the best position to shoot deer. So 100% of the deer that I'm seeing were were within shooting range that night. Now, if you're in a position where, let's say, 0% of the deer that you saw 
you know, and, and you're not trying to purposely have an observation sit, 100% of the deer that you saw were outside of shooting range. Well, that's an indication that you need to change your uh, tree stand location and put yourself, find a way to put yourself in better position for getting more of the deer that you're actually seeing within shooting range, especially with archery, right? And this is a trap that I've found myself uh, getting worked into, like getting trapped into all the time uh, years ago, where I would sit and I would hope deer would come by and I wouldn't do anything about it until I started being mobile and until I started being aggressive and moving. Then you know that, man, uh, I gotta, I gotta get closer and I gotta do that by, by moving my, my, uh, my tree stand. Now you can even do this if you don't have uh, let's just say a, a quote unquote mobile setup, you can still move your tree stand and put yourself into better positions with a ladder stand. All you have to do is just put a little, you know, work into it and take down the tree stand. It may take a couple trips and move the tree stand and set it up closer to where that is. And, and, Yes, that's going to be a little loud. Yes, there might be some additional pressure put on on the property, but that risk would definitely be worth the reward if you don't move at all, right? You're still going to just be watching deer. And if I wanted to watch deer, I'd pull up YouTube and just watch deer uh, or, or drive around the countryside at night. But I'm not in the market to watch deer. I want to shoot deer. So just... Think about that. Try to get as many deer as you can within shooting range. Now, here's the kicker on this. It becomes more difficult when you're trying to get specific deer within shooting range, right? And this is where this time of year can be really important because those does that I saw were within shooting range. I didn't see any bucks. However, we're sitting on a time of year where this late October timeframe, the big dogs are going to be downwind of these does scent checking them, right? Whether they're right behind them and you can actually see them, or you can put yourself in a position where you can get downwind of the does and hopefully uh, you see some kind of buck buck movement. So just because you don't see deer, don't quit yet. Don't move yet because a good spot, in my opinion, is a good spot when it comes to terrain, when it comes to uh, pinch points, uh, you know, staging areas, bedding areas. Find where those does at. It's almost like you, you want to continue to hunt doe groups because those doe groups, especially with the breeding season, you know, we're on the cusp of the start of the breeding season. Deer are getting bred right now. The big dogs are up and they're looking for actively they're looking for that first available doe and the biggest most mature buck is going to get that doe so stick with those doe groups identify maybe identify a couple groups and that way if uh, you have the wrong wind for one doe group oh man there's i know there's another doe group over here it's going to give me the right wind to go to go and hunt so you know it just gets tough because it's not full bore right now. It's not the full blown rut. Deer aren't responding. Like I, I did one or two little grunts. Um, once the does kind of worked their way through the staging area onto the, uh, the main food source, just to, just to kind of let, uh, you know, let the deer know there was other deer in the area, just a couple. And that's it. 
and then I put my call away and uh, just wanted to see what happens. I don't think there's any harm in, in a grunt, really a grunt call. Now, if you're making an aggressive call this time of year, like a, uh, a, rat, a blind rattling sequence, just be prepared for these deer to still be smart, right? Rattling it during the rut, deer will come on a frozen rope, right? Certain deer will come on a fr- frozen rope. They're they're dumb. They're not using their brain to think. Deer's, they're using their pecker, and uh, that's what gets deer. That's what deer gets deer killed uh, in during the rut. Now, if you're doing a rattling sequence this time of year, um, it, it's a great opportunity to get uh, a deer to come in thinking, "Hey, there's the first available doe. I need to be on that." But they're coming in cautious. I don't think they're coming in as uh as quite as fired up as they would if there was some kind of uh some kind of big you know if it was november so just just be aware of that that's why i typically don't uh rattle unless i can actually see a deer right so what am i going to be doing uh from now see today uh, you're listening to this on october 27th october 27th to october 31st um, probably even into, and this is just my experience, October 27th to, I would say even earlier than that, but given today's date is October 27th to November 3rd, I'm going to say third ish based off my experience is what I would call the pre-rut. It's not crazy yet. Then we start getting into the fourth fit fourth and on, uh, that's the rut in my opinion. Uh, that's what I experience on the farms. Now, sometimes that rut can come earlier or that rut can come later, depending on when the does in your area are coming into heat, right? So this this rut, this pre-rut is definitely a sliding scale. I've hunted farms in the past where the last week of October was pretty good because there was doe groups that were coming into heat then. And then I've also hunted farms where the 15th through the 20th was really good because the does were coming into heat later in November than they were in that what everybody thinks is the first two weeks of the rut, right? So just because it's everybody talks about pre-rut being the last week in October and the rut is the first two weeks in November, you have to remember that's a sliding scale and that's based off the law of averages, right? So what I would recommend is really start to pay attention to the doe groups on the farms that you hunt. Because I'm not a scientist, I'm not a, a wildlife biologist, but the deer tend to come into uh, uh, heat the same time every year. So if you have a doe group or like one matriarch doe that is coming in the last week of October, man, I would hunt her. And in, in my opinion, does are way more patternable than bucks are, right? They'll, they'll stand up out of their beds and they'll walk to a food source in the pretty much in the same, same time every single day. I have trail camera pictures of these three does after I pulled the, uh, pulled the camera and took it home, checked the cards. I had a doe do the same thing, or these three does do the same thing 11 days in a row, 11 days in a row. And so that to me means if I can, if I can get away with hunting these deer 
and they are doing the same thing and I see those same does 11 days in a row, I could potentially put myself in position to, to see those deer every single time I hunted. But now we're talking about something following these deer or something coming past them because they're at some point going to want to, they're going to start smelling sweet and you want to put yourself in the best position to put or to get a shot on every deer that walks by you. Right. Again, not, we're not trying to see deer. We're trying to shoot deer. So there's that. Now, as far as, you know, we, I I've talked about access. I've talked about wind direction, you know, cutting the wind, this the closer we get to the rut, the more aggressive I am going to be with my access routes and my uh, uh, my access routes and my stand locations as far as wind is concerned. Uh, last night, my wind was fairly safe, right? I not only do like I'm a firm believer in Ozonics, take that with a grain of salt, right? Some people like it. Some people just say hunt the wind. I am a huge believer in Ozonics because it allows me to be more aggressive in my wind setups. Now, do your own research on that. With that said, I there are times when I will sacrifice having my wind go into a drainage where there could potentially be deer just so I can loop around and get on the back side of them. Right. So let's just say I'm, 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 I'm coming into a farm and instead of having to walk through the nastiest, thickest timber, uh, which would, let's say we take all vegetation out of the scenario and it's, we're talking about a flat plane. If I knew deer were there, right. Um, I would have, I would walk a better access route. But knowing that I'm probably going to disturb the timber more with my sound, walking through thick, nasty vegetation, breaking things, um, drawing attention to myself that way as the closer I get to where I want to hunt, I am okay with having my scent blow towards deer long ways away, 500, 600, 700 yards, knowing that by the time my scent gets to these deer, if it does at all, they're not, it's not going to be as potent as if it was 50 yards away, right? hundred yards away, right? So I take that risk and I walk an easier access route. It may be longer, but an easier access route with less intrusion, uh, with noise. Um, I, you know, I may take a two track around or I might walk way around and walk through a field. My scent blows in there, but we also have to remember a little bit about how deer bed right in, in terrain whether it's out west whether it's in big hill country they're not betting clear at the top and they're not betting clear at the bottom right they are along some place in there uh, and most time as you're walking let's just say along a field edge let's say there's a, a a strip of timber that runs north south okay and you are walking uh, on the west side of this north-south finger or strip of timber on a west wind and your scent is blowing right into the um, blowing right into the timber typically what's happening is the the terrain is dictating where the wind moves and a lot of times if you're high on high ground you're getting your your scent is getting sucked low 
and it's getting just sucked right down to the to the lowest parts of the the terrain and then shoots down and out now if there's deer in there yep that's a risk but most of the time we know that deer are bedded on the fingers of uh, you know on the fingers of the high terrain not the valleys or the drainages but on the ridges uh and yes when you're walking i guess it would be when you're walking to the west of those fingers there's a chance that the the wind makes it or your scent makes it there but by the time it hits them it's so distorted they may smell something but they're not spooked by it because it's less potent so i i really don't have an issue with doing that knowing that a my scent cone is distorted and b um it's less intrusion right so my access routes I, i get a little i get a little bit more aggressive with my access routes um i take i take the it's not really a shortcut but it's in it's the path of least resistance and sometimes the path of least resistance is a longer access route where you you sacrifice um your your wind but what i'm doing is I'm J-hooking back into a spot where I'm actually closer to the deer, knowing where the deer are bedded, how they're going to use that, A, through trail camera data, B, through observation or historic, you know, historically, I've seen deer move in these areas. And yes, I do take a sign into consideration at some point, but it's just not something that uh, I'm... uh, you know, it's making me, if I don't see any rubs or scrapes in an area, I'm not going to not hunt it, if that makes sense. So, and then when I get into these areas, uh, then that's when I set up, right? And if it's good enough and I see good movement, then I might leave a tree stand up in this area. Or if it's not, uh, I'll give it a couple hunts and then I'll tear it down. But for the most part, uh, if I, if I see good movement and I feel like if I, the next time I come back and hunt, I will definitely leave a tree stand up if I have to. I left Monday's tree stand up. Now, in this field uh, right now, the deer or in, in this farm that I hunted right now, the there's about 70 acres, maybe 60 acres, 60 acres of ag and 40 acres of timber in this uh on this property and it's all going to change when that uh when that comes out because i've seen the the beds along the i guess you would call it a buffer strip or the feathered edge uh, some guys call it a soft edge or a feathered edge that run it's grass that runs in between the timber and the uh and the cornfield now that used to be a two track that they would mow they just don't mow it anymore so it actually becomes bedding and habitat for the deer to just feel more comfortable as they approach the the ag field corns out they stop using it like that because now that soft that soft little uh, feathered edge become isn't a bedding area anymore because it's not covered by the the cornfield right the the cornfield isn't that uh, isn't cover anymore it's food source and cover it's not I mean, now it's just a food source once the combine comes through. So yeah, it changes. Not only does it change, but then it opens up more access to the field. So that's why I like to hunt right now with the cornfield still in because it restricts entry to the cornfield. I mean, you would, you would think, well, no, it doesn't, but it just, from my experience, it is 
it's still bringing deer to certain spots before like the low spots in this terrain before they enter the cornfield right to eat now they take that out and it just becomes more wide open uh more places for them to uh actually use their eyes and check and the check the open field and uh then at, at that point, obviously, if, if I do decide to hunt a field edge, there's a lot more, uh, there's a lot more that a guy could see, uh, or observe from that. But again, I'm, I'm not trying to see deer. I'm trying to shoot deer. So pre-rut, right, man, I don't know. And maybe it's me. I'm, I'm, I'm even putting myself into some of the tightest cover a guy can put himself in without busting deer out of their beds. But somewhere around the 28th, 29th, 30th is when the big mature bucks start moving. And there was one year where even from, I think it was like September 2nd was the last daylight picture of, uh, of a buck I had in velvet or of a mature bucks I had in velvet all the way up until October 28th. So that large period of time, they, they ended up going nocturnal and yeah, I'm sure they're not nocturnal everywhere. Just, just on the, just where my trail camera's at, which most of my trail cameras are on field edges or in, in, uh, as far as the ones that I could check. Now that changes once I go in and I was, I was telling Mark Kenyon this on a, on a podcast that we recorded recently where you know, everybody thinks that the deer are nocturnal right now, and some of them can be. They may just be sitting in their beds a little bit longer, but they are moving at some point. So I went in and I checked a trail camera that I had, uh, I put up in July, I believe it was, and it was in a finger near a bedding area, real tight in there. And I said, I'm going to risk this. I had a good wind, went in, checked the trail camera, and sure enough, there's daylight movement in there. So that tells you, you, you have a chance to get in there and do it. You just have to do it intelligently with the right access route, with um, the right stand location. And once you get into the tree, just know, and this was, this was uh, a classic example last night of what the, what the wind is doing on the ground is not what the wind is doing 15 20 however high you hunt in the air down on the ground i was in the vegetation um the the wind was almost swirling but once i got up above all of that it became more consistent and that that uh that tells you right now and i think as as long as the vegetation continues to come off and continues to come off the more consistent wind will be because there's nothing blocking it once the leaves all start to fall, you're going to uh, deal with more consistent winds, which is just going to help you out select that. Now, we also have to remember that when we are in a tree, just because our, our scent is going in one direction and that we can see, right, 20, 30 yards, it could be dropping down, switching, and, and actually going a completely different direction. So if you're running into a scenario this time of year and during the rut where you th- you're getting busted and you don't know why, 
just really focus on the wind, whether you're using uh, milkweed, whether you're using powder, whether you're dropping crinkled leaves, try to figure out what your scent is doing once it leaves your, your, I don't even know what to call it, a knowledge zone, I guess you would say. So 40, 50 yards past you, obviously it's going in one direction, but then it could pool, it could build up. It could move. Just imagine your scent as water. It's going to go to the lowest spot at some point. Or if there's thermals, it may go straight up and you're good. But it could pool, especially if you're in the shade all day. And that pool could fill up and it runs over. And once it runs over, it goes to another place in pools or it just swirls in an area. And then the next thing you know, these deer are walking downwind of you. uh, at, Or maybe even not downwind. Let's just say to your right and over or whatever and it's it's circling back in because terrain or vegetation further down the line is that scent line is dictating air movement and that air movement is going in a completely opposite direction you're like man how the hell are these deer busting me well you may have to move your tree stand it may be good in this one spot but in the overall scheme of things the deer are I don't know. They're catching you somehow. So be as observant as humanly possible, right? And this is the time of year where I'm still cautious in my decision-making. I'm not throwing Hail Marys yet. Uh, It's not time to go for broke. I mean, a lot of us, I mean, I've only hunted one time in Iowa so far this year. And it doesn't look like uh, I'm going to be able to hunt probably until Friday night this week. And, uh, man, I'll, I'll tell you right now, it's going to get good. And then I got to do trick or treating. Um, so, and I don't know where you are, where you hunt, but across the Midwest or even in the South, this is one thing that I am a firm believer on. We are about in the Midwest to have two straight days of rain where it's going to rain all day, Wednesday, it's going to rain all day Thursday, and then Friday is going to be a nice sunny day. So if a guy can get out in the woods the second the rain stops, and I have killed more deer the second that rain has stopped, especially if it correlates with a morning or an evening hunt, deer are standing up out of their beds or their uh, their they're coming to a food source or even if it's like three o'clock in the afternoon or if it's eight in the morning, they're going to move, right? They've been beat by this weather for however many times they're going to stand up. They're going to shake it off. They're going to move. Potentially, if they're a buck, they're going to lay some fresh sign there. They don't want to bed because they've been bedded for the last 48 hours. And I've killed more deer, uh, after big rain events in, uh, if even if it matches with the uh, the pre rut in early November, man, it's just something that I've had a lot of experiences uh, experience with and, and success in. Maybe, maybe that works where you're at. Maybe it doesn't, but give it a try because, man, it's just another another thing that I've noticed that would really get deer moving. Uh, is, is these long rainstorms. And sometimes and from, from what I have gathered, they're sacrificing eating just to not move for a little bit. But then that, that 
storm breaks and they're up and they're moving and they're hungry and they, they want to eat. So, and they want to lay sign, especially this time of year. So uh, think about that as a, as a strategy for this pre-rut. Um, I mean, it doesn't really matter. That's a, a good strategy any time of year, but I think it was 2016. I hunted a, uh, a, a bit of a staging area in a fence crossing and the, uh, the rain, it was raining when I went to my tree stand and the second I clipped in, it stopped. And I said to myself, man, there's gotta be deer. I, I gave it like 20 minutes and I never blind rattle. I hardly ever blind rattle, but I said to myself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to crack these antlers together. And so I cracked them together and I watched a buck stand up out of his bed in this finger that ran into a marsh and he came he came in in my direction i turned him with one little grunt he looked in my direction he stopped he came right towards me and i arrowed him and that was 2016 and uh that ha- also happened in 2018 uh, I, I, I didn't have to call or rattle or anything cause the deer just came within shooting range 2018 that happened as well. And I'm sure, uh, some other, uh, I know, I know there's other bucks, but I can't remember the time, the time for that as well. So just kind of as an overview real quick, I'm going to keep this episode fairly short. That is, we really need to be observant this time of year. Um, it's not hell Mary time quite yet depending on what you have access to, uh, and what type of, uh, you know, what your hunting is. I mean, if, if, if this is your last hunt, obviously go for broke, but I I'm saying on the law of averages, there are a lot of people who are just getting ready to get, uh, start, start hunting and get fired up about it. So, uh, not, it's not hell Mary yet. Um, there's still a lot of vegetation on the trees. Uh, don't, don't be afraid to go the long way around. Um, don't take shortcuts, by all means, don't take shortcuts, but also know that uh, um, just because that there's no buck rubs or buck scrapes in an area, it does not mean that there's no deer in that area, right? How do we figure that out? By actually sitting in a tree stand and observing our surroundings. So that was a rant for about 30 minutes here. And what I'm hoping is that that, that rant just opened opened up your mind and allowed you to think more about the areas that you hunt. And I have to repeat myself because, because people, you know, I've even had comments, you know, about these conversations that I've had uh, and people are like, well, I don't take advice from guys who hunt Iowa. I'm not trying to give you advice. I'm trying to make you think about the properties that you hunt. Right. And share my experiences with you know, cause I've failed way more than I've been successful. And I'm talking about my experiences. I'm not trying to tell you in Michigan or New York or Pennsylvania, how you should hunt. I can't relate to that. Right. So I'm not trying to give anybody ad- advice. I'm trying to share principles, share information that's worked for me, share all these things, uh, with you in hopes that maybe it just opens your mind up and allows you to think about something different. Because once we think about something different, we could have this aha moment where we're like, oh my God, I need to try this. And when you try this, what are you going to learn? 
you're going to fail and you know you can't do that, or you're going to be successful and you know you can do that. Or you can even have a third option, which is the deer didn't come through tonight, but I'm going to, I'm going to save this spot in my head. And then I'm going to come back here when the, maybe the conditions are a little bit more favorable. So good luck to everybody over the next couple weeks. Um, I'm going to try to get another one out next week when we start talking about the rut. Uh, but this is a pre-rut talk. Good luck to everybody, man. You don't know how bad I want you to be successful. I hope each and every one of you find success in the, uh, in the timber this year. Um, hunt hard hunt hard because we are not uh guaranteed to hunt every day like i already know i'm not going to be able to hunt uh this year as much as i have in the past and it's going to suck so i have to make every single hunt count i can't take shortcuts i gotta hunt hard and uh and i have to not second guess myself basically uh, is what i'm getting at so good luck a huge shout out to our partners vortex ozonix exodus Lone Wolf, Wasp, uh, Wasp Archery, Excalibur, and Hunt Stand. Please go out and support the companies that uh, support this podcast. Please wear your damn safety harness, guys. Uh, the The era of being the tough guy who doesn't wear safety harnesses is over, right? If you forget it, go home and get it because actually your life is important. And especially if you have children or a wife or family members who love you and count on you, um, it's just a selfish thing to do if you're not if you're not uh, hunting with a, a safety harness. And then lastly, stay positive, man. Um, once the negativity creeps in and you start to say this sucks, then you stop having fun. So just remember this whole thing is isn't about inches. It's not about of bragging rights. It's about going out and experiencing something that we truly do love. And that is the, uh, that's the rut, man. And, and these whitetail creatures that uh, have a, I guess, a, a really grasp on our soul. So uh, good luck in, good vibes in, good vibes out. And we will talk to you next time.